We are getting close to the end of 2 Timothy, Lord willing, uh, there will be one more sermon next Sunday, uh, but today we'll be looking at verses 9 through 16, it might say 15 on your, on your bulletin, I don't know, but, um, and so after that, uh, I thought we would do a couple of things, uh, first we're going to have uh, Easter coming, so I'll probably do a message on the cross, uh, on what's called Palm Sunday do a message on the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And then after that, I was thinking about going and doing two small New Testament books, the book of Philemon, as well as the book of Jude. And Doug referenced Philemon in his prayer. And so that was, to me, got my attention. But let's let's pay attention to the word now. Final instructions that Paul is delivering to Timothy, chapter 4. In verse 9, he said, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Uh, Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. To his word works. <clears throat> you must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. In my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Thus ends the reading of the inspired, inerrant, life-giving word. Let us pray. Lord, would you take this word and write it upon our hearts? Would you speak to us, each one individually, so that we understand, Lord, what your will is for our own lives? And may we respond by receiving this word in faith, with love, and with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is in Rome, he's nearing the end of his life, and he's not in a good situation, but he's not feeling sorry for himself. However, he does have certain needs that he uh, does not hesitate to bring up to Timothy, and so he urges Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. He has needs, and if Timothy comes, he can help meet some of those needs. Well, in those days, you had to really plan ahead if you were going to uh, communicate. You had to plan ahead of time because it would take a long time for the communication to reach the person and then for the person to be able to respond to it, Uh, especially if you were some distance away. And commentators estimate that Paul in Rome and uh, uh, Timothy in Ephesus were about 500 miles apart. So that's a long distance. Uh, Paul and Timothy weren't able to text each other or email each other like we uh, take for granted today. Uh, but even if they had access to their to our technology, uh, still uh, nothing could have taken the place, I believe, uh, of a personal visit from Timothy to Paul. He needed Timothy's personal 
presence. You know, and I, the same is true today. All the more do you and I need personal contact uh, in a world of impersonal uh, live stream, electronic communication, virtual reality, and all of that. Uh, these things cannot take the place of being here in worship and in fellowship. In fact, our denomination just is is passed a, a, a measure saying that the Lord's Supper cannot be done uh, virtually. It must be done in person. Uh, and, and, and so it's important to have this personal contact, contact with each other and interaction. The, the pandemic and the lockdowns have created an epidemic of loneliness, a great decline in mental health, if you will, in recent years. And we all know that, that loved ones died in hospitals uh, without the person, the people that they loved being able to be with them in their time of greatest need. I had a friend who died in the hospital. I tried to call him and talk to him on the phone, but he, I couldn't be there with him. And he died without anyone there. Well, Paul was in lockdown. He was in a cold, dark, damp dungeon. Uh, and yet what was uppermost in his mind? Uh, was the kingdom of God. His own personal needs were important, but only so much as they, uh, you know, related to the work that God had called him to, uh, the serving of Christ's church. And so as we look at verses 9 through 16, uh, we'll take a look at some of Paul's final concerns uh, that he wanted Timothy to know about uh, as he awaited execution. And, of course, he expressed, as we already said, you know, the desire that Timothy come to see him. It was an urgent Request uh, come to me quickly and be diligent about this. And you know, if Timothy didn't come soon, it might be too late. Uh, time was running out. Paul's life uh, was about to come to an end. And there are times in life where uh, the most important things do become very urgent. Usually, I find that it's the other way around. Interestingly, uh, the most important things in life often can be put off. Uh, to another time. Think about spending time with our families, people that we love. Uh, we we can easily justify. Well, I'll you know, sometime in the future we'll 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 spend some quality time together. People think that work is more important, and usually it's very urgent. Um, but sometimes we neglect our families for the sake of work. But here, you see, Paul is saying that relationships matter. Really, relationships are the most important things in life. They may not seem the most urgent, but we really should make them more of an urgent or, or, or a um, first concern, a priority. Especially spending time with the Lord. But spending time with each other is also important. Well, Paul loved Timothy, certainly missed his fellowship, and there was a deep bond of Christian love and, and fellowship in the ministry that they had. Uh, but other reasons why, uh, again, that Paul needed Timothy to come quickly, and that is, um, you know, that his death was imminent, but also as verse 21, which we didn't read today, but uh, mentions that winter was soon approaching, which made travel uh, more, much more difficult because you had to go uh, by ocean and, and their waters were rough in the winter. But the main reason Paul stressed that Timothy hurry up and get to him as quickly as possible is that he needed assistance in the ongoing work 
of the ministry. You see, Paul, even in prison, was still working to organize and to manage the, the affairs of the churches and, and the leadership of the churches and uh, for the greatest advantage for the Lord's kingdom. But Paul was almost alone at the time he wrote this epistle. Most of the uh, men that, that, that had served with him were in other places. He had directed and sent them there. But uh, one of the men who left Paul, uh, he did not send him away, uh, was Demas and certainly would have caused him some, some personal pain. Uh, and it says in verse 10, For Demas has forsaken me, uh, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Uh, Demas had once served with Paul and served well, evidently. He's mentioned in, in uh, Colossians 4, verse 14, uh, that says Luke, uh, you know, uh, it, it, the, and Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So, uh, and also Philemon, Philemon 124, Demas uh, was spoken of favorably, but now it says he forsook me. Uh, it's the idea of unfaithfulness. And why? Because he loved this present world. He loved this world more than the world to come. It's obvious that, that Paul was living for the world to come. Uh, but Demas somehow uh, didn't want to hang around with Paul anymore and suffer with Paul. Those who were with Paul um, might suffer. Uh, had someone say to me uh, the other day, another minister said, are you sure you want to sit with me? Because you might be associated with me. People will come after you if you <laughs> if you spent time with me. And I had a laugh about that. But um, to be with Paul would certainly put your own life at risk. And probably Demas just wanted to take it easy for a while. And so he left Paul in the lurch. And, um, and that was a sad, sad thing for Paul. Uh, Paul felt forsaken. Uh, and, and certainly our Lord was was forsaken, and we can only imagine what Christ felt as all the disciples forsook him and fled, the Bible tells us. And perhaps you know something about being forsaken in your own life. Uh, and you can be sure, first of all, that the Lord understands what you have gone through. Uh, and, and as the Lord also um, provides uh, provided Timothy for Paul, and he provides fellowship for us in the church that helps us deal with loneliness. It says the Lord has, has given us a family in the church of the Lord. Family might forsake us. The Bible says father and mother might forsake us, but the Lord will never forsake us. And, and of course, the church, we ought to surround one another with love and encouragement. Uh, but again, most, most of all, know that Christ understands what it means. To be forsaken as he was forsaken on the cross for us so that we would never be forsaken by God. In verse 8, Paul mentions those who love Christ's appearing. Again, Demas stands in stark contrast to that. He was not looking and longing for the second coming of Christ. Uh, he loved this world instead. And, you know, just, to, just as a comment, you know, loving the world doesn't mean you can't enjoy the things in this world, if we enjoy the, the good gifts that God gives us, as you know, in thanksgiving to God, that's okay. But to love them and to leave God out and to think that they can be a substitute, uh, the things of this world, you either you know you cannot love God 
and money at the same time. You can't love God and the world at the same level. Uh, the world always wins out if you do. Uh, and, you know, remember what I said last week about those who start off strong in the faith but don't end up finishing well. seems that Demas was like that. Uh, we don't know if he ever repented of his sin or not. It's, this is the last thing we hear about Demas, and it's not good. The last thing we know about Demas, according to Scripture, is that he was going the wrong direction. And so what about your own life? What direction is your life headed? Jeremiah 7, 24. Uh, God is speaking in this verse about the generation of Israelites whom he had brought out of Egypt. And Jeremiah says, um, uh, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Uh, Why did they go backward? Uh, God says it was because they followed the counsels and dictates of their evil hearts. And isn't that exactly what the world tells us to do every day, right? Follow your heart. Uh, The heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately wicked. The Bible teaches us, so don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. Follow him. Uh, uh, You know, when you follow your heart, you're going to seek comfort instead of the will of God. You'll seek pleasure instead of pleasing God. You'll seek earthly wealth instead of eternal reward. You will want to go backwards and not forward. Remember the words of Jesus in Luke 9, 62. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, And many of us, again, we began to follow Christ with great zeal. Uh, Maybe at the start, we, 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 we were excited when we get converted and we follow the Lord and we go forward in faith. But over time, you know, Revelation, book of Revelation, Jesus speaks uh, to one of the churches and says, you've lost your first love. And, and so our zeal, our excitement can wane. We know that. Uh, J.C. Ryle comments, he says, we learn from this saying that it is impossible to serve Christ with a divided heart. If we're looking back to anything in this world, we're not fit to be his disciples. So... <clears throat> If you're going in the wrong direction, uh, it's not too late to turn around. As, as the old saying goes, God allows U-turns. He encourages us to repent and come back to him. No matter how long we've gone backwards, uh, no matter how many times we, we looked back, he says, come back, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. So wherever you are today... Jesus says, come to me. Come back to me. Ryle said, um, those who look back like Lot's wife want to go back. Why does she look back? Why did Lot's wife, we don't know what her name was. She's just Lot's wife. She looked back because she longed for what she had in Sodom um, instead of longing for what God had for them in the future. Uh, So you look back. You'll want to go back. Keep instead looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep meditating on Christ and on the world to come. On his appearing, you'll be much more likely. If you look forward, if you look forward to heaven, 
uh, you'll be much more likely to go forward in life. Now, these other men that Paul mentions who had been with him, Cretans, Titus, Tychicus, had all, all gone off to other places of service, again, at his direction. Luke, the beloved physician, was with him, tending to his physical needs, no doubt, and being uh, a source of fellowship and companionship. But Paul needed more men to assist him in the work, and, and he did need Timothy. But he also said in verse 11, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. And some of you know the backstory here. Uh, Mark's testimony uh, is the exact opposite of Demas. Uh, because there was a time when Mark wasn't faithful. And this is the John Mark uh, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament. And in Acts 12, 25, uh, when Barnabas and Saul returned uh, from Jerusalem, they took Mark with them on a trip to Antioch. Uh, but later in Acts 15, when Barnabas wanted to bring Mark with them again, Paul said, no, I, he's not coming this time. Uh, because he had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. He had proven himself to be unfaithful, and Paul said he's not coming this time. And there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two great men of God. And, and Acts says that Barnabas then decided to split ways with Paul, and he took uh, Mark with him, and they sailed to Cyprus. Uh, Matthew Henry gave some possible reasons for Mark's departure. He was either lazy and couldn't take the pains uh, of this type of missionary work, or he was cowardly and just didn't want to run the hazard. Uh, the proverb says that confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Uh, at any rate, Mark, you see, later uh, proved to be a different man. At, at this point, you know, when... Paul says, no, he's not coming with us. He was not trustworthy. He was not faithful, not fit to serve. But if perhaps a year or two later, there was repentance and growth and change in his life. And no doubt Barnabas, took him, as he took him with him, helped Mark to grow uh, in his faith and, and mature in his walk with the Lord. So now Paul could say, Mark is useful to me in ministry. Uh, I like what Spurgeon says. It's in your bulletin, but it says this is one of the prettiest verses in the Bible because you will remember that Paul quarreled with Barnabas about this very Mark. And now John Mark, who was weak and unfaithful, is now useful. Uh, and like Mark, you may have done some things in your own Christian life that have made you unfit for service. And may, maybe those things are in the past, but you haven't moved past them. And you are still living, perhaps, in the past, and you haven't changed. There has not been uh, any growth since then. Well, the question is, how do we move forward and, like Mark, turn around and get back on track and become useful to God? Well, Paul's already said earlier in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, that if anybody wants to be a faithful servant of God, he must depart from iniquity. And then uh, cleanse himself of whatever is dishonorable. And Paul said, then you'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. If you want to do anything good for God, there must be this process of sanctification taking place 
in your life. And so there must be, you must get rid of those sinful habits and develop godly ones in their place. And I would encourage you to start serving God where you are. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, if I want to serve God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be some big thing, you know. No, you don't, you don't need to think that way. Start in your home. Start on your job. Uh, start uh, just with the people that God has put in your life. Uh, do what Paul says elsewhere. He says, be willing to associate with the lowly. Do the lowly tasks. Serve in the lowly places. And if God brings you uh, to a higher place, fine. But uh, God will use you. And it's never too late uh, to change, to turn, and to become useful to God. Uh, don't be a demas and get stuck in, in the going that di- wrong direction. Be like Mark, who turned and became useful. In verse 13, Paul requested to Timothy, he says, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Truez when you come. This is a very practical request. Winter was coming. You live in a damp uh, dungeon with no light. You know it's cold there. And uh, this cloak was this heavy wool outer garment, just like a poncho with a hole in the middle for your head. And, you know, it would keep you warm. And that's what it would do. And, and so uh, with winter coming, he needed this. Uh, you see, God is concerned about our, not only about our spiritual needs, he's concerned about uh, the food and the clothing, the things we need. That's why Jesus said that we should ask. One of the six most important things we should ask about is to pray about, is to, to pray for daily bread. God wants to supply our physical needs. And Paul had left his cloak in Troas, which probably wasn't far from Ephesus, so it wasn't too difficult for Timothy to go get that and then take the 500-mile trip. 500 miles to bring that cloak. (laughs) It must have been... Well, clothing in those days, people didn't have a lot of clothing, and clothing was very, very valuable. Paul was evidently too poor to purchase another one. He asked Timothy... To make a special trip and retrieve it. That it, you know, that tells us something that that we need to give thanks for food and clothing. We need to not take any of these things for granted. That we have homes that keep us warm. That we have uh, shelter over us. That we have food and clothing. The Bible says, with such things, we should be content. We should rejoice. We should give thanks. Again, it's nothing wrong with having clothes. Nothing wrong with having a home. Uh, having a, an automobile even to get us here to church this morning. But these are his gifts, so let's give thanks. And, uh, and remember that God has promised, if you, if you tend to worry about such things, that you need to go to the Sermon on the Mount to read uh, Matthew 6, the end of Matthew 6, where Jesus talks about you know, the, the birds of the air, God takes care of them, the lilies of the field, he clothes them. Uh, he will clothe you. Oh, you have little faith. He will take care of your needs. Uh, and you need to trust him and not worry. Uh, because he supplies, he will supply all your needs. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He has unlimited resources. Uh, do not worry. Do not be anxious. But next Paul says, uh, bring the books, especially the parchments. It, literally, it's scrolls. That's what the books were in those days. We don't exactly know... Uh, what was on these, but it is interesting that Paul asked for books. 
Uh, you know, some were probably Old Testament scriptures. Maybe uh, others were just notes that he had taken. Some maybe were still blank pages, if you will, for him to continue to work, to write, uh, and, and work on things that uh, that he was thinking about. <clears throat> Hendrickson comments that is it not natural to assume that the Lord's prisoner desired above all else to spend his few remaining weeks or months in meditating on the Word of God? Until the end, Paul was reading and studying. He needed his cloak to warm his body, but he needed the books, the parchments, to warm his soul. And you and I need the same. Uh, Food and clothing, we should be content with, but we need much more. We need God's Word. We need good literature that will help us to understand God's Word. And C.H. Spurgeon, you know, he, he was a Baptist pastor. He was... A Calvinist, he was reformed, and he was, you know, hands down the, the greatest preacher in his day uh, on earth, I think, probably. Uh, and and this is convicting. Okay, I'm you know going to guilt you a little bit with this quote, <laughs> but uh, it's on my heart, and and I, even as a pastor who probably reads as much or more than most people, uh, I, there's there's more than I can. Do, but he says, uh, even an apostle must read. Uh, he is inspired, and yet he wants books. He's been preaching for at least 30 years, yet he wants more books. And the apostle says to Timothy, and so he says to every preacher, give yourself to reading. Uh, you know, of course, give yourself to preaching, but if you're going to preach, and there were people in his day, like there are in our day, and, and Spurgeon talked about them. He says there, there are people who think if the preacher studies and prepares and spends a lot of time reading and studying that he's a bad preacher, that he's not under the inspiration of the Spirit. You know, you're supposed to just get up in the pulpit and let the Spirit take over. That's what some people think today. But he says, no, give yourself, preachers, to reading, to studying. And Spurgeon went on. He said, he who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves he has no brains of his own. Brethren, what is true of ministers is true of all our people. Here's where it gets to you and me in the pew. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all the light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritan writers and expositions of the Bible. Uh, As as, uh, Doug and I have been preparing lessons on the attributes of God, it's really stretching for me to read you know, works like the you know existence and attributes of God by Stephen Sharnock, a Puritan, and he writes a hundred pages on just one attribute, and it's tedious to go through. It's it's work, but it's so rewarding. Um, you know, at the end of our life, uh, the greatest comfort that we have will be the truths that we have learned from Scripture and been taught from the pulpit and been taught from books by godly men who have helped us understand the scriptures. Now, in in verses 14 and 15, Paul gave Timothy a warning. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works, and you also must beware of him. He's greatly resisted our words. Uh, Some commentators think that, that, that Alexander was actually, uh, in, in the court of law, and, and, and opposing Paul there, we don't know that for sure, but that perhaps his activities, his work led to uh, Paul's second imprisonment. 
What we do know, again, that he resisted Paul by resisting and opposing his words. And I would take that to mean the preaching and teaching that Paul was attempting to do everywhere he went. And Alexander, you see, was an enemy of the gospel. He was an enemy of Christ, and there are many like him today. If you haven't noticed, the world is still trying to shut down the gospel of Jesus Christ Trying, still trying to outlaw the truths of God's word and stifle and silence those who would speak God's truth. And, and so Timothy says, beware of him. And you and I need to beware of those who would do that. And this is not personal with Paul. He's not being vindictive. Uh, he is leaving him in the Lord's hands. And he's follows, following his own teaching in, in Romans 12, 19. He says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to wrath, to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And, and so he says, may the Lord repay Alexander according to his works. Well, if he had good works, maybe he would be repaid perhaps for that if he repented. But he just leaves him in God's hands. And you and I have to resist the temptation to get even with people, to get back at people who hurt us, who harm us, even those who, who are against Christ and the gospel. We have to be careful that we don't try to get back and take vengeance upon them. Um, God will take those hardened enemies, and he will judge them in the, in, in the final day, if not before, and he will repay them for what they've done. And, and that's what, what Paul is praying that God will do. And he went on to say in verse 16, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Even those who claimed the name of Christ uh, evidently wouldn't stand with Paul. And there he says, may it not be charged against them. And here, again, is another contrast. You notice the contrast with Alexander the coppersmith. He says, may the Lord, uh, may the Lord pay him, repay him according to his works. But here, with uh, believers who had abandoned Paul, he prays that God would show them mercy and that there wouldn't be charged against them. And I think Calvin makes it clear here. He says <clears throat> that Alexander rose against God with malice and openly attacked known truth. Such impiety had no claim to compassion. Uh, pray the imprecatory prayer on this man because he uh, didn't deserve anything. Um, but Calvin went on to say that we should learn to see, look at the amazing meekness of Paul here, uh, and learn from his example to have compassion on the weaknesses of our brethren. And there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5:14 where Paul writes the following. He says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all uh, People are going to let you down. The church uh, will let you down. The minister will let you down. Um, and we do that to each other. And we need to be patient with each other. And um, the men who deserted Paul <clears throat> should have been faithful. They should have stayed by his side. And, and at that moment, they were weak in faith. At that moment, they turned backwards a little bit. But Paul didn't condemn them. Uh, he prayed for mercy. And... and, and Think of this, you know, if you were in their shoes, would you have stood with Paul? Would you have stood by his side when no one else did? Would you have been willing to go 
into the dungeon with Paul? Would you be willing to go uh, to, to death with Paul for Christ? Well, I'm not sure what I would do if I was in the place of the Roman believers. I know one thing that if Mark was once a deserter, if Demas left Paul, if all these others didn't stand with Paul, if Peter denied Christ, who am I to think that I would be any different? And we need to, to be humble about our commitment to Christ. Remember what Peter said. He says, you know, everybody else may deny you, but I'll never deny you. Whoops. There we go. Um, We've got to be humble about uh, our commitment to Christ. And, and, and don't you think that uh, just because someone is a strong Christian uh, that they could not fall. Watch out if you think you stand, lest you fall. Only by His grace you and I stand each and every moment. Uh, and left to ourselves, we would all fall. So when others fall, when others fail, our first thought should not be to pile on and, and judge them and condemn them, but to pray for them, and maybe if we have opportunity to help them get back on the right track. So as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you to think about Paul's words. First of all, are you going forward? Are you taking steps forward? You and I have not arrived. Philippians 3, Paul says, it's not that I have already arrived, but I'm pressing on. Are you pressing on? Are you going forward? And that's good if you are. Keep going. Don't look back. Because if you look back, you'll go back. Uh, Have you turned backwards, though? Have you failed the Lord and others? Well, turn around. Turn around. Start going forward. Move in the right direction. And seek the Lord. Seek the help of others to help you get back on track. It's not easy uh, if you've been going the wrong way. You need help. And if you are following Christ, then ask yourself, how can I be of service to the Lord? How can I be useful to God um, in the remaining time I have on earth? Your life, my life, is only a vapor. It lasts a little while, and then it's gone. And we need to live for the things of eternity, the things of Christ, before the winter of our life comes. And may we stand with the gospel, may we stand with others who proclaim that gospel faithfully and speak up for Christ in the midst of a world that hates Him. And if we suffer for Jesus, if we do have to end up uh, losing out in some way, then we're in good company. The Apostle Paul, many missionaries through the years. And Jesus said, great will be your reward in heaven if you are persecuted, if you are hated for my sake. So uh, final instructions. We've got more final instructions uh, next week. We'll, Lord willing, finish the book of Second Timothy. So uh, let's go to the Lord as we look to him in prayer.